Hello, and welcome to the final episode of Dr. J's Shakespeare. I'm Dr. J. For this final episode, I first thought of doing a passage from The Tempest. The Tempest is generally considered to be the final complete play Shakespeare wrote, and there are within it passages that might be considered Shakespeare's farewell to the stage, which would thus be appropriate for this farewell to Dr. J. Shakespeare. But instead, I've decided to return to the play I used for my first episode, As You Like It. I might title this episode, Throw Away Shakespeare, with a question mark. I'm thinking of throw away in two senses. First, Shakespeare wrote a lot of lines for his 36 plays. Surely some of them must just be throwaway lines. We all know the famous lines, so full of meaning. To be or not to be, that is the question. Though I don't think that that is the question. Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou Romeo? Though we must remember that wherefore doesn't mean where, but why. Why are you Romeo, and thus my enemy? What fools these mortals be! These are important lines, but surely there must be lots of lines that are of no consequence, that are just throwaway lines. Well, I don't think there are. Even the most casual of Shakespeare's lines can be pregnant with meaning if we give them enough thought. And that's what I mean to do in this final episode. Take a couple of seemingly throwaway lines and see how much meaning there is in them. Secondly, I want to end by looking at a question that has been around for a while. Do we need to keep Shakespeare at all, particularly in our classrooms? More and more, my progressive colleagues in teaching, and I consider myself one of them, are saying, no, we don't need to keep Shakespeare. He's no longer relevant to students' lives. We can throw him away. And, of course, I think this is a mistake. And the pressure to remove Shakespeare from schools will only get worse if cultural conservatives find out what's actually in his plays. A lot of violence, sure, which is generally okay with cultural conservatives, but also a lot of sex and drinking and cross-dressing, elements which are less acceptable to some. And so I want to conclude by emphasizing how much Shakespeare gives us what I like to call equipment for living. That is, equipment for living fuller, healthier lives, whatever our race or gender or circumstances. The passage I've chosen from As You Like It comes early in the play. There are six characters in this passage, a bad duke, an unimportant functionary named LeBeau, a wrestler named Charles, two cousins, Rosalind and Celia, and a young man named Orlando, who has come to try to win the prize money if he can best Charles the wrestler, and thus get a stake to start out in life. As you like it is a comedy, so we know there must be pairs of lovers who will have to overcome some obstacles to make it to the marriage altar. In this play, the main pair are the young man Orlando and Rosalind. 
They only first meet just before the wrestling contest is to begin, and so the first obstacle that will have to be overcome, even before they know they're in love, is Orlando must manage to not get killed by Charles, though we've already learned that Orlando's death is Charles's secret intention. Rosalind's cousin Celia, the daughter of the bad duke, will also have to find a lover, but that's for later. Right now, Charles has already thrown three young men who've taken the challenge, and Orlando is next. Rosalind asks LeBeau if the young man she sees is really the young man who's going to wrestle, or wrestle in the language of the times, Charles. Let's join the audience as Rosalind asks LeBeau this question. From Shakespeare's As You Like It, Act 1, Scene 2. Rosalind to LeBeau. Is yonder the man? LeBeau. Even he, madam. Celia. Alas, he is too young, yet he looks successfully. Duke Frederick. How now, daughter and cousin? Are you crept hither to see the wrestling? Rosalind. I, my liege, so please you give us leave. Duke Frederick. You will take little delight in it, I can tell you. There is such odds in the man. In pity of the challenger's youth, I would fain dissuade him, but he will not be entreated. Speak to him, ladies. See if you can move him. Celia. Call him hither, good Monsieur LeBeau. Duke Frederick. Do so, I'll not be by. The Duke steps aside. LeBeau to Orlando. Monsieur the challenger, the princess calls for you. Orlando, I attend them with all respect and duty. Rosalind, young man, have you challenged Charles the wrestler? Orlando, no, fair princess, he is the general challenger. I come but in as others do to try with him the strength of my youth. Celia, Young gentlemen, your spirits are too bold for your years. You have seen cruel proof of this man's strength. If you saw yourself with our eyes, or knew yourself with your judgment, the fear of your adventure would counsel you to a more equal enterprise. We pray you for your own sake to embrace your own safety and give over this attempt. Rosalind, do, young sir. Your reputation shall not therefore be misprized. We will make it our suit to the Duke that the wrestling might not go forward. Orlando, I beseech you, punish me not with your hard thoughts, wherein I confess myself much guilty to deny so fair and excellent ladies anything. But let your fair eyes and gentle wishes go with me to my trial, wherein, if I be foiled, there is but one shame that was never gracious. If killed, but one dead that is willing to be so. I shall do my friends no wrong, for I have none to lament me. The world no injury, for in it I have nothing. In the world I only fill up a place which may be better supplied when I have made it empty. Rosalind. The little strength that I have, I would it were with you. Celia, and mine, 
to eke out hers. Rosalind, fare you well. Pray heaven I be deceived in you. Celia, your heart's desires be with you. Charles the Rassler, come, where is this young gallant that is so desirous to lie with his mother earth? Orlando, ready, sir. Duke Frederick, you shall try but one fall. Charles the Rassler, no, I warrant your grace, you shall not entreat him to a second that have so mightily persuaded him from a first. Orlando, you mean to mock me after, you should not have mocked me before, but come your ways. Rosalind, now Hercules, be thy speed, young man. Celia, I would I were invisible to catch the strong fellow by the leg. Orlando and Charles wrestle. Orlando throws Charles. Rosalind, oh, excellent young man. Duke Frederick, no more, no more. Orlando, yes, I beseech your grace. I am not yet well breathed. Duke Frederick, how dost thou, Charles? Lebeau, he cannot speak, my lord. Duke Frederick, bear him away. Charles is carried off by attendants. And so the young man wins the prize. The wrestling match is, of course, much more exciting on the stage, displaying the skills not only of the two actors, but of the fight choreographer as well, as important a part of Shakespeare's troupe as they are for today's blockbusters. But though he's won the prize money, Orlando has not yet won Rosalind. That won't happen for another four acts, though both Orlando and Rosalind know as soon as they part after the wrestling match that they love the other. So what is the obstacle, or what are the obstacles, between them and their happy marriage? Well, one of the throwaway lines I mentioned earlier ironically suggests the chief problem, a problem faced by all lovers, whether they know it or not. As Orlando is stepping into the ring to square off with Charles, Rosalind says to him, Fare you well. I pray heaven I be deceived in you. First of all, fare you well. People routinely say farewell, meaning nothing other than goodbye, but fare you well has more specific meaning. Rosalind isn't saying goodbye to Orlando. She is wishing him success, that he farewell. But what follows next is more interesting. I pray heaven I be deceived in you. What does Rosalind mean by this? Well, Orlando doesn't look like he has the size or strength to defeat Charles the wrestler, so she prays that Orlando prove to be different than he appears, and so he proves to be. But the next four acts turn her exclamation upside down. Orlando appears to love her and appears to be good husband material, but does he, and will he be? This is what Rosalind needs to discover before giving her heart to him. That is, Rosalind has to be sure she is not deceived, that Orlando is what he appears to be. 
And that's the challenge we all face if we are to give our hearts away. Is the other worthy of our heart? Will they respect it? Do they care as we care? This is Rosalind's challenge, and how she goes about finding true answers to these questions provides the substance, both charming and serious, of As You Like It. The play is about a search for knowledge, both of the self and of the other, emphasizing that such knowledge has to be gained first before things go farther. Shakespeare may be a love-at-first-sight guy, but that's not the end of the matter, but the beginning. The challenge is to both be open to love, which requires making ourselves vulnerable, but at the same time protecting ourselves from getting hurt, at least not hurt too badly. Speaking of challenges brings us to the second throwaway line I'm interested in in this passage and takes us back to Orlando. In the beginning of the scene, as the match approaches, Orlando is spoken of as the challenger, but when Rosalind, just wanting to confirm he's the one who's going to wrestle with Charles, asks him, quote, young man, have you challenged Charles the wrestler? Orlando makes a clarification. No, fair princess, he replies. He is the general challenger. I come in but as others do to try with him the strength of my youth, end quote. Orlando hasn't challenged Charles. Rather, Charles has challenged all comers to wrestle him. This may seem like a small technical point, but I think it's much more, particularly when we consider Orlando's full explanation. He, that is, Charles the wrestler, is the general challenger. I come in but as others do to try with him the strength of my youth. We can say this not just about a wrestling match, but of the world. The world is the general challenger, and each of us must do as others do, try with the world the strength of our youth. So how does reading, seeing, hearing this moment in a play better equip us for living? For one thing, it reassures us. Yes, the odds seem against us, but we can succeed if we have the courage to accept the challenge and dig deep within ourselves for the strength and skill the challenge of the world requires of us. And this reassurance can then help us accept the challenge in the first place. Because not everyone does accept the challenge of the world. There are ways, mostly self-destructive, to avoid the world's challenge. Let me give just one example an example that takes us right to the question of whether today's students need to study Shakespeare. In Chicago's South Side and other neighborhoods of America's cities, there are young black men who don't accept the world's challenge, often beginning when they are boys. Instead, they retreat into gang life, where the challenges are fewer and easier to meet, though they too often end in death or prison. Could these boys and young men be encouraged to accept the world's challenge by reading as you like it? Well, in a word, probably not. First of all, even if Shakespeare is kept in the 712 curriculum, as you like it won't probably be chosen. And even if it were, how many are going to actually read it? 
But as far as that goes, it isn't that important that these at-risk adolescents read it as it is for the teacher to talk about it, to draw their attention to this passage and then ask what it means to them. As for the first problem, if the teacher goes into the classroom herself having read Shakespeare in college, she can bring with her this idea and devote a class period to it without the students even being assigned the play. Either way, this requires a good teacher who brings ideas of her own to the classroom. And even then, how many can she reach? After all, the world's challenges facing such students are much greater than those that faced me, for instance, or most of you. Not all will accept that challenge, particularly if they only hear this idea once. But some will, and that's better than none. I hope you've enjoyed Dr. J's Shakespeare. I hope you'll take the opportunities to see Shakespeare's plays that come your way or that you seek out. There are many summer Shakespeare festivals, many community theater productions, and college and high school productions. The best Olivia I ever saw was a high school student, and though Viola is the more important character, Twelfth Night can't succeed without a good Olivia to offer her sympathy to Malvolio before he storms out. I saw this production decades ago, but that moment stays with me still. So see some Shakespeare, and go to the library and check out a play to see what you make of it. Whatever that is, it'll be yours. And so, farewell.